Behold the goodness and severity of God, Romans 11.33. Often you and I know that folks want to pay attention to the goodness of God and never, ever consider the severity of God. You and I need to be aware of both sides of the nature of God, as we've mentioned and talked about many times before, and we're going to do so. Continue that thought this morning. You'll take your Bibles. We'll be spending most of our time in Romans chapter 3, but we'll go through a few places before we get there. Romans chapter 3 is where we'll spend some of our time. As we think about the, the nature of God, as I mentioned, it helps us to consider passages such as Mark 16, 15, and 16. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. These two results are indicative of the nature of God. The goodness of God allows for salvation. The severity of God leads to damnation. Mark 16, 15, and 16. John 5, 28, and 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Again, the results indicate the nature of God or help us be reminded of the nature of God. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. Let's look there. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness. Notice that, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. When you think about the righteousness of God, thus one of the attributes of the nature of God, you think about His being righteous. This is justice. This is the virtue that gives to each person His due. And so, so far we've looked in this passage at how that the righteousness of God is manifested outside the law meaning it was separate from the law. It was beside the law, if you will. Matthew 14, 21 talks about that word beside, about the number that was counted beside that. So then we looked at witnessed by the law and the prophets, talking about how that the law and the prophets give record to the righteousness of God, both in promise and in pictures. In other words, events that took place, things that happened that depicted and showed the righteousness of God. It's been witnessed by the law and the prophets. 
And today we're going to look at factors involved in how we're made right in God's sight and how God is just in allowing us to be justified. And that's something that we want to go ahead and cement in our minds if it's not already. When you think about the concept of righteousness, there's the righteousness of God, which is he is just in doing what he's done. He is just in doing what he's done. And then there's we're counted righteous, we're justified, as the old expression or the old definition goes, just as if we'd never sinned. We've been allowed to be forgiven because of what's been done for us if we'll obey. So there's the two ideas, righteousness of God and then our being righteous. So whenever you think about this in verse 22, because verse 21, now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. First of all, we've got to remember that he's pointing back to Romans 1, 16 and 17. He started this conversation by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So remember, he's saying no matter if you're Jew or Gentile, the just shall live by faith, which is a quotation from Habakkuk 2.4. So again, reminding ourselves of Habakkuk, go back to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And it's helpful to remember the context of Habakkuk as we see what Habakkuk was thinking and what the Lord is teaching. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the Lord had said, Behold, told Habakkuk, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not uprighted him, but the just shall live by his faith. So think about what Habakkuk had been thinking. In Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 2, Habakkuk said, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. These are not questions, they're exclamations. He's declaring to God, this is how long I will cry out unto you and you won't hear. And how, how long I'll cry out unto you of violence and you won't save. And then, of course, the Lord answers in verse 6 about what's going to happen with Judah, the wicked nation of Judah. Chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. God tells him, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, Judah. Habakkuk doesn't like that answer. Look at Habakkuk 1.13. And be careful how you read this verse. I would dare say that this verse has been often misused and nearly so in some instances as well. Habakkuk 1.13, Habakkuk says to God, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? Habakkuk is explaining to God, God's nature, and telling God that because of your nature, you're doing this the wrong way. 
You are going about this the wrong way. How can you look on them? How can you do this? How can you use the wicked nation of, of Babylon, these Chaldeans, to come in and deal with us who are less wicked? What's Habakkuk's thought process? Habakkuk looks at things just like Jesus taught against Matthew 5.20. Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, as Chuck taught us Sunday night, the, 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 the scale of righteousness that Jesus is condemning in Matthew 5.20, isn't, it, it isn't, well, they got up to here with their righteousness and you need to get up above them. It was, they were a false righteousness. They were a self-righteousness. They were a, they, not even a real righteousness. He's saying if you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to truly be righteous. You have to truly obey my will. Not this false, fake, self-righteous, self-boasting mentality. Well, Habakkuk has a little bit of a thought of self-righteousness. We're better than they. How can you use them to punish us? Well, you're both in need of judgment, Habakkuk. God will deal with them when it gets their time. That's the idea God is telling him. Thus, that leads to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. After Habakkuk said the things he said in verse 13 and following, he says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall be answered. Notice when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Can we? Can somebody turn this fan off? Is that easy to do back there? I don't know which switch it is. You can't turn off just the one? With the chain? Okay, never mind. Don't worry about it. You can leave them all on. I should have asked that question before, huh? And found out if it was a separate ability. So notice what he's saying here. Look at verse 4. Don't worry about the fan. Look at verse 4. I'm fine with the fan. You be fine with the fan too. Chapter 2, verse 4. He says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Notice this principle. God is laying forth for all of man to see, and at that moment, Habakkuk to see also. His soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. God is telling him, look, this is who the just ones are. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, if you're from Judah, if you're from Israel, if you're from Chaldea. It doesn't matter where you're from. What matters is, are you doing what I said? And he says, here's who are the people that are just. Here, who are, the, here are the ones who are righteous. Those who, live by his, those who live by faith. But his soul which is lifted up is not upright. So notice, you're either righteous or not right. Righteous or unrighteous. The righteous are those that live by his faith. The unrighteous are those that are lifted up. They are not willing to listen to God. They can't humble themselves to listen to God. And so that's the principle behind all of this. Because like I said, Romans 1, 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Greek. 
For therein is the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel. Therein is the gospel. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So he's quoting Habakkuk 2.4, pulling in those thoughts from Habakkuk and planting them firmly into Romans chapter 1 and 2 and 3 because by the way, Romans 1, he goes from verse 1 17 next verse verse 18 for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness notice that what are they what are these people doing the ones that are going to suffer the wrath of god are the ones that are holding the truth in unrighteousness they're suppressing the truth they don't want to truly listen to the word of god so the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So you think about the world after creation. You think about how it eventually just went off into sin. Genesis 6, 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's applicable to this description. You think about Sodom and Gomorrah. That's applicable to this description. It brought the wrath of God. It brought the wrath of God because they continued down this way of wickedness because they didn't want to keep God in their mind. They wanted to follow self. They wanted to follow the lusts of self. Not the will of God. But remember the just shall live by his faith. Meaning the just are the ones who live by the word of God. They obey the word of God. Faith always always includes obedience. Faith has always included obedience. It's not alone, as some people say. There are people who teach a false doctrine that says that you can be saved by faith only or by faith alone. Well, that's not true. All that we've said so far would go against that, not to mention other passages like Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Luke 6, 46. And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? What about John 12, 42 and 43? Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They believed who he was. They knew who he was. But they wouldn't confess him. Because they love something more than loving God. They love something more than doing what was right in God's sight. And that was the praise of men. They wanted the praise of men and they wanted to hold on to it. Faith has always included obedience. It's never been alone. It's always been a factor involved in salvation. Now, particularly in this passage, the faith associated with Christ. 
our belief in Christ. You think about how the book of Romans begins and ends with the obedience of faith. Romans 1, 5. Romans 16, 25 and 26. By whom we have grace and apostleship. Romans 1, 5. We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Romans 16, 25 and 26. Talking about how the mystery was made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. That's what faith does. Faith cannot exist. If it is not obeying God, it is not faith. If it is not obeying God, don't get me wrong. It includes love. Galatians five, six, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. And by the way, when you read Romans one through three, keep Galatians five, six in the back of your mind, because it's a commentary by Paul himself on his own writing. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. That's exactly what Romans 1 through 3 teaches. The Gentiles, Romans 1, didn't follow God. They didn't follow by faith. They went on into their own way, and thus they brought on themselves the wrath of God. Romans chapter 2, the Jews themselves were not immune to this problem, though they thought they were. They brought upon themselves, were bringing upon themselves the wrath of God because of their self-righteousness that went in the pathway of sin. Think about Romans. All of the book, all of Romans 1 and 2 are summed up in that idea. But what you and I have to remember, not only has faith always included obedience, faith has never been alone, as people have said, or faith only. That's a false doctrine. But what you've got to remember is it's never been one verse in the Bible against another verse. In other words, someone says, well, I read in Romans chapter 3, for example, and we'll get to it. In Romans chapter 3, that we conclude, verse 28, that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. They say, well, see, there you go. It's just faith and there's no deeds. There's no works. And then you got a brother over there trying to study with this person. He says, well, I've got Mark 16, 16, and it says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And if you don't come off of those two verses and start understanding and start explaining what's going on there, then what you're telling people is, well, your verse teaches this doctrine and my verse teaches this doctrine, and we're just going to be here at a, at a standstill and we're not going to explain anything. Well, you know what that's implying? That's implying that God's scriptures are teaching two different things. It's not a thing. That's not a thing. God's always consistent. Is he teaching in Mark 16, 15 and 16 that there's something you've got to do to be saved? Besides just believe, you better believe that he is teaching that. Is he teaching in Romans 3 that there's nothing you must do besides believe? No, he is not. Notice the context. Look at Romans 3.20. Look at Romans 3.20 as we sort out a few things and then we'll move forward with dealing some, with some of this. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. <clears throat> the law of Moses was never intended to deal with sin ultimately and finally. Okay? The law of Moses was never intended by God to deal with sin ultimately and finally. That wouldn't happen until Christ came. Jesus is the only way that sin could be dealt with ultimately and finally. 
Jesus is the only way that sin could be dealt with ultimately and finally. So I want to make another thought, make another statement about what I said about this one verse against another verse. You've got to be very careful. You and I have to be very careful. We have to let people know, look, every verse you tell me about belief, I believe it. When you're studying with a person who believes faith only. Every verse you tell me about belief, you're just making part of my case. Do I believe that you must believe? You better believe I believe you must believe. So thank you for making that point. I'm glad we both agree on that point. We should both agree on that point. But where we've got to continue, we've got to continue studying though. There are other things that you and I must do besides simply mentally ascending to a fact. Because that's not what faith is anyway. Faith always includes that trusting obedience. So we've got to get out of that mindset of, well, it's one verse against another. And they've got these verses there. We've got to, in other words, what I'm saying to us is we've got to go to passages like Romans 3 if that's where our friends are going and trying to teach us. And they're trying to say, well, no, you don't have to do anything. It's just faith only. Go to the passages they're using to teach faith only and help them see the truth. That's what you and I have got to do. We can't let them sit there on a perch and say, well, I've got my faith only verse over here and you've got your works. You're trusting in your works over there. By the way, we can't trust in our works either. But that's how they view what you're saying. You've got your trusting in your works passage over there and we're just going to agree to disagree and we're going to sit here and we're going to be at a stalemate. Well, neither of those positions are true. There is no such thing as faith only and there's no such thing as trusting in your works as the source of your salvation. Those are both false. There is obedience that looks at the promises of God and says, He said I should do this and this is what I get if I do this and that's what I'm doing. That's what salvation is. It's always included obedience. Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's got to be based on a thus saith the Lord. Think about Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for. We, we hope for this thing because we know about its existence because God told us about it. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. John 8, 32. Hebrews 11.6, but without faith it is impossible <coughs> to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. By the way, isn't that talking about the nature of God? Isn't it talking about the first side of what we were talking about at the beginning of the lesson of the two sides of the nature of God indicated by those passages we considered? Hebrews 11.6 is pointing out the positive side of it. Well, when it points out the positive side of it, what is, it, what is that passage by implication pointing out also? The negative side. If he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, what does that mean? It means that of those who don't seek him, they're not going to be rewarded. Therefore, they're going to be punished. Think about the positive examples given in the first, uh, first part of the chapter there about Abel. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than in Cain. Hebrews 11.4 Genesis 4.7 God asked Cain the question, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? In other words, he hadn't done well. Therefore, he didn't do what was right. He would not be accepted. He, listened to the, he heard the word of God, as in auditorily, but he didn't hear and follow. Think about Noah. 
By faith Noah, Hebrews 11, 7, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Well, what did Noah do? Well, when God saw that the world was going where it was going, Genesis 6, 5, Noah, Genesis 6, 8, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But he not only found grace, but he obeyed. By faith Noah, Hebrews 11, 7, Genesis 6, 22, thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. He didn't have faith only. Faith alone, he would have been destroyed had that been all he had. Think about a negative example of this, meaning when Eve was confronted with the devil, and the temptation, Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Remember how the devil told her, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye, ye thereof ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Then in verse 6 it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. In other words, her behavior, her actions changed when, she, when her mind was changed. But notice the wording how it says when she saw that. She was walking by sight. She was walking by someone's words who were not God, the words that didn't belong to God. They were Satan's words and her own enticement to sin, her own temptation rather to sin, being enticed by the devil. So what you believe changes your actions, no doubt. What you believe will lead to your actions. But notice how he said, Romans 3, 22 and 23, how he said, by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Again, referring to Jew and Gentile. So the point, one of the points that we, I want us to take home, if nothing else from this this morning, is this. When you're looking at Romans 3, and there are these statements made about belief and salvation and so forth, and that's the points that people are trying to make. Realize that God is not going through and through Paul here ex explaining every step that a person must do in order to be saved. That's not the point of his conversation here. That's not the point of what he's teaching here. Does he elsewhere? Yes. But here he's strictly talking about it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. The only way you have to be saved is in the Christ. And the only way you can be saved is through your faith in him. There is no other way. That's his point. He's saying, and he goes on and talks about this, about these factors involved in this. It's available to all. It's upon all. It's unto all. Jew and Gentile both needed this. Notice what he had said in Romans 3, 9 and following. What then? Are we better than they? In other words, are we Jews better than they Gentiles? No. In no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. He had already made that point, Romans 1, Romans 2. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. The Jews and the Gentiles needed this. Again, the Jews were self-righteous. Look at Romans 2, 1. 
Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man. After he had railed on, if you will, some might say, the Gentiles in Romans chapter 1 talked about how they had gone off into sin and they were inviting the wrath of God upon themselves. <coughs> Romans chapter 2, he says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest another, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. Not just because they judged, but because they were judging something that they were doing. Look at the rest of the verse. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Same teaching of Jesus in Matthew 7, right? It's not wrong to judge. What's wrong is to judge and stand there and do the same thing. Say it's okay for me to do it, but it's not okay for you. Three and four. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Do you think you'll escape the judgment of God when you're doing the very same things He's asking them? Verse four. Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? He's pleading with them to really consider the nature of God and how they are so against it in their thinking. He's really pleading with them to understand who He is, who God is, and what is He like. They needed to understand that because they were self-righteous. Chapter 2, verse 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew and restest in the law and makest thy boast of God. They rested in the law. They made a boast of God like John 5, 39. Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. In other words, the Jews, they thought they had eternal life by the very fact, the very fact that the law was given to them. Therefore, they're righteous. But Jesus was basically making in John 5, the point in John 5.39 that, look, the very Scriptures that you say are the reason that you're saved are the ones that taught that I should come, and here I am, and you don't understand that I'm He. They were self-righteous. They weren't looking for God. They weren't looking for the truth. They were just being self-righteous. <coughs> you think about the Pharisee and the publican in Luke 18, 9-14, as we've looked at many times. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican, I fast twice in the day, I give tithes out of all that I possess. But the, but the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up his eyes so much as to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He recognized his spiritual poverty, and he was willing to mourn over it. Matthew 5, 3 and 4, but the Pharisee didn't see his own sin. He saw... Uh, he saw greatness in himself that God should have just accepted. The Jews were self-righteous. Romans 2, 25 and following. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. Help people see that kind of a, pa of a passage. So that whenever you understand that Romans 3... 29, or sorry, 328 is not saying that you don't have any works to do to be saved by Christ. He's saying that there's no deed in the old law that you could do to be saved. There's no deed that you could do, I could do today to be saved. Because whether you're talking about the law of Moses or the law of Christ, James 125, 
Galatians 6, when I use the word law there, Romans 3, 27 to 30, whether you're talking about the law of Moses, the law of Christ, people have a tendency to turn both of those, either of those, into a checkbox religion as Chuck was teaching about Sunday night. And you and I have to make sure that we're following by faith the law that's in front of us, the law of Christ. We have to make sure of that. These Jews were not. It says, circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision, if the, if the Gentiles, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, in other words, they're doing the things that are right in the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Even though he's a Gentile, is he not doing what he's supposed to be doing? Yes. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So it was universally needed by Jew and Gentile. And it was universally available, and it still is universally available. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You think about Luke's account, Luke 24, 46 and following, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, Jew and Gentile. All nations. Notice the will of God as laid out in 1 Timothy 2.4 who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. God wants every man to be saved. The only way that's going to be is through the knowledge of the truth. There is no other way. There is no other way. So when we see in Romans chapter 3, the factor involved there being faith. Faith of Christ, as he says there in Romans 3, 21 and 22. Now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So all these things have been true. It's, it's separated from the law. It's outside the law. It's manifested outside the law, but it was pointed to by the law. Witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. And Lord willing, we'll continue in our next time together. But for this morning, we're going to conclude our thoughts with that saying that God is righteous. And that's part of Paul's point. 
in forgiving us because of what Jesus did. Jesus died. He became the propitiation, as is mentioned there in Romans 3.25. But for this morning, what I wanted us to consider is that when we read that even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let's remember that that faith, it always includes obedience. It's never alone or only as some people say. And it's available for all. And it's required on all that all would obey. And you and I have to make sure that we're listening to the word of God and following his will so that we can hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized to be saved. As Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. But as you and I also well know, it's possible that once we obey the gospel, as is indicated by all these epistles, including Romans, it's possible for Christians to fall away. That's what the Holy Spirit was doing through these epistles, is reaching out to Christians and reminding them to, to remain faithful. What must I do to remain saved? You and I, after we've obeyed the gospel, we've got to continue walking in the light and to live faithfully. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, why not this morning? And if you have and have straight away, why not come back while we stand and while we sing?